0: Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Spooky Soup Podcast. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tessa. Okay, so uh, I hope this is some exciting news, but I have an update for you on the Summerton Man.
1: <gasps> no way.
0: So uh, if you guys haven't listened, I recommend you go back and uh, listen to episode eight. It's titled The Summerton Man. I'll give a brief summary of it um, when I give the update, but... Before we begin, just want to let everyone know that um, any images um, that are associated with our stories today, I will post those on our Instagram. You can check them out there and uh, also on our TikTok. Also, if you have a story that you would like to um, have us read on the podcast, you are very much more than welcome to send them in to us. We would love to read them. You can email them to us at SpookySoupPodcast801 at gmail.com or dm those to us on our instagram so just real quick before i dive in um so i have the update and then i have two reddit stories and then after that i'll hand it off to you for your historical story
1: sweet i'm excited
0: okay all right so just once again uh you can listen to the somerton man episode eight um but here's a brief summary of that episode So, the Summerton Man refers to an unidentified deceased man found on Summerton Beach near Adelaide, Australia in 1948. The man's identity, cause of death, and purpose remain unknown to this day. He was found with no identification and had a mysterious scrap of paper with the words, Tamam Shud, tucked inside a hidden pocket. On the back of the paper was a phone phone number that led investigators to a woman named Jo Thompson, who people believe knew who the Somerton Man was. The case gained significant attention due to its puzzling nature, leading to numerous theories and speculations about the man's origin, uh, its purpose, and also the meaning of the cryptic message. Despite extensive investigations, the true identity and circumstances surrounding the Somerton man's death remain one of Australia's most enduring mysteries. Okay, so Derek Abbott, a professor at the University of Adelaide, was obsessed with this case. He was determined to speak with Joe Thompson, but by the time he was able to finally get to her, she'd passed away. However, he was able to speak with her granddaughter, Rachel Egan. Remember the theory that I told you where um, they thought Joe's son, Robin was the son of the Summerton man because yes. they looked like if you did the side-by-side pictures, they looked exactly the same. Yeah. They had not, the same features like big ears, um, yeah. like a big note. Yeah. So, um, so Abbott was determined to find out the truth and he requested a DNA sample from Rachel. Fun fact, Abbott so the doctor or the professor were talking about, and Rachel, the granddaughter, they actually got married after this.
1: No way! Yeah. They oh found, my goodness! They found
0: love <laughs> through a mystery.
1: All thanks to the Summerton man.
0: <laughs> the random dead man on the beach.
1: Thanks, corpse.
0: <laughs> so they took. Uh, also, if you remember, they took a plastic mold of the Somerton man's head, and the mold was able to snag a few hairs from his face when they pe- when they peeled it off. Okay. So. Um, so Abbott was able to get some of the hairs, and with the help from Colleen Fis- Fitzpatrick, an expert on forensic genealogy, they were able to determine that Rachel is indeed not related to the Somerton man.
1: No way! What?
0: So they were able to link a living excuse me a living relative to of to the hairs that they took off the mold and that living relative, his name is Jack Hargraves. They were able to dig into his entire family tree and find one man that never had a death date. Okay. This man is named Charles Webb. He was born in 1905 and had gone missing in 1947, one year before the body of the Somerton man washed up on the beach, or turned up, I guess. He probably didn't wash up on the beach. During the investigation, it was uncovered that Charles Webb had significant associations with the Keene family. and This is noteworthy because the name Keene was found written on the tie that the Somerton man was wearing. It was like written on the back of it um, at the bottom. So, digging deeper into the family lineage, investigators Abbott and Fitzpatrick they discovered a man named Antero Bonifacio astonishingly when they requested a dna sample from him it turned out to be another match with the somerton man as well as several individuals who are still alive today considering these findings it is highly plausible that this charles webb may be the somerton man
1: that is insane so cool yeah
0: yeah the science behind all that like oh that's it's just awesome when I first read that, I was it would, like, give me chills. I was like, oh, we're going to find out who this guy is. Like, yeah, it's got to be this Charles Webb guy. It's got to be someone.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Now, what's next is that we have to figure out how he died and how he ended up on that beach a year later.
0: Yeah. I'm still convinced he worked for the government somehow and was assassinated. Like, there's just too many random things for it not to be. Yeah. Something like that.
1: Yeah, he's a spy or something.
0: Definitely. Okay, well, that was a quick little update for you. Wow, um,
1: what an update, too. That's way cool.
0: Yeah. Once again, everyone, go back and listen to that episode if you haven't heard it. It's so good. It's so good.
1: Yeah, Jesse did a great job on it. I <laughs> highly recommend it. Stop. Stop it. <laughs> no.
0: Okay. All right, so getting into the Reddit stories, this first one I have for you today is titled Echoes of the Night, Officers in the Abyss. Posted by u slash western underscore juice 8698. Once upon a moonlit night, two seasoned police officers, Sergeant Miller and Officer Reynolds, found themselves patrolling a desolate road that snaked through a dense, foreboding forest. Their headlights cut through the darkness, casting eerie shadows on the gnarled trees that lined the way. As they navigated the treacherous path, a blood-curdling scream pierced the air, freezing them in their tracks. Their hearts raced as they strained to locate the source of the distress. Through the mist-shrouded woods, a woman's voice pleaded for help, her desperate cries echoing ominously. Driven by their duty to protect and serve, The officers ventured cautiously into the mysterious depths of the forest. The dense foliage obscured obscured their vision, but the distant echoes guided their path. The unsettling ambiance tightened its grip on their nerves, every rustle of leaves sounding like a sinister whisper. After what felt like an eternity, they stumbled upon the woman. Her pallid face etched with anguish. She clutched her swollen belly. Her body racked with pain. Her desperate eyes implored them for assistance. Driven by a mix of curiosity and concern, Sergeant Miller and Officer Reynolds approached the woman intending to offer their aid. But as she let out an anguished scream, something unimaginable occurred. The woman's body convulsed with a nightmarish twist of fate. A grotesque half-human, half-pig abomination emerged from her womb. The creature's eyes glowed with a demonic fire as it let out a guttural snarl. Its twisted form possessed an uncanny strength, attacking the officers with a primal fury. Its voice, a haunting fusion of human and demonic tones, filled the air with a cacophony of terror. In a frenzied battle for their lives, Sergeant Miller and Officer Reynolds fought desperately against the malevolent entity. They managed to momentarily subdue the creature, leaving it dazed and disoriented, seizing the opportunity they retreated to their patrol car, believing they had found refuge from the horrors of the forest. Inside the vehicle, a false sense of safety washed over them. They exchanged relieved glances, their trembling hands gripping the steering wheel. But their relief was short-lived, shattering by an unholy revelation. A primal snar emanated from the back seat, and as they turned their heads in disbelief, they beheld a twisted visage of the half-human half-pig abomination, its malevolence filling every corner of the car. Trapped within the suffocating darkness, the officers' terror deepened as they realized the creature had infiltrated their supposed sanctuary. With nowhere to escape, their hearts pounded with despair. The demonic being, driven by its insatiable hunger for human suffering, toyed with them, relishing in their fear and despair. As the forest whispered sinister secrets, the officers found themselves engulfed in a never-ending nightmare, haunted by the grotesque entity that had consumed their lives. Their cries for help blended with the wind, lost in the depths of the foreboding woods, forever echoing the tragic tale of two police officers who dared to venture into the heart of darkness.
1: Ooh, that's good. (laughs) I was wondering the whole time if um, that was like a statement about cops, because it's a pig. (laughs) <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, they're just like pigs killing pigs, you know, or pigs fighting pigs. I guess
1: pig on pig violence. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, it's yeah. When I first read that, I w- I was spooked, and but I was also kind of laughing because I was envisioning the, um, like the pig from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah.
1: Yeah, okay. that was great. Really well written
0: fun short story okay so on to my next story for today this one is titled The Most Disturbing Thing I've Ever Seen and it was written by u slash hemogoblin underscore seven this happened a few weeks back and honestly I still get chills thinking about this small backstory my family and I live in the Rocky Mountains we all have grown up here. Every weekend of my childhood has almost always consisted of outdoor activities, including camping, off-roading, fishing, hunting, backpacking. That being said, I would consider myself very well versed in the outdoor skills and knowing about the forest. My girlfriend and I recently planned our first camping trip this season. As the snow has finally melted, and the nights here have finally started to stay above 32 degrees, green plants are starting to pop up again, so it's actually warm enough to have an enjoyable time. Springtime in the Rockies really is the most beautiful setting in the U.S. We were eager to get out into the woods again. We loaded up my old 4x4 truck, packed up the cooler, and of course, I couldn't forget my Winchester Model 70. After a long drive further into the Rockies... We hopped onto an OHV trail and took that for about 30 miles off-road into basically the middle of nowhere. To some, this may seem foolish, but it has become a somewhat tradition of ours when we camp to drive as far as possible until we have just enough fuel to get back. By this point, we were extremely secluded, so deep into the woods that we actually have to turn our phones onto airplane mode because it will drain the battery trying to search for satellite connection. The stars are beautiful that far out but the main reason we do this is because of the wildlife. We are both avid wildlife enthusiasts and my girlfriend is especially fond of tracking and bird watching so this was the perfect spot for us. We set up camp just before sundown and then hiked around the campground to get acquainted with the area. After dinner and s'mores and a tasteful shot of fireball, To keep us warm, we decided to crawl into the tent and enjoy the sounds of the woods as the wildlife really comes alive at night. We chatted for about an hour and drifted off to sleep together, and this is when the trip took a sinister shift. Suddenly, I'm awoken to what sounds like a deer very close to our tent. When deer get spooked, you can hear them bolt through the woods, snapping all branches and sticks as they trot away. This is the sound I heard. Some sort of creature running away. I check my watch. It's a hair past 3am. I hear t- more twigs snapping just feet away from our tent. I wake up my girlfriend, telling her immediately, Shh, hey, there's somebody outside. or something. At this point, we're hoping to spot some wildlife, but I still grab my rifle just in case it's a mountain lion. It's pitch black in our tent, so I also grab my spotlight. I stand up in the tent to peek out the net window and get a glimpse of whatever is out there. As soon as a flick on my light, and that's when I see it, two eyes inches away from my face on the other side of the net. We couldn't help but scream in terror as we are face to face with a beast staring directly in our tent, with its face pressed up against the window. The few seconds this happened felt like hours as adrenaline charged through my veins. I clutched my rifle and aimed point-blank at the wall of our tent and declared, I'm going to shoot! Leave or I'm going to shoot! It stayed unmoving, just its hairy face and dark, soulless eyes looking directly at us. Without question, I discharged my rifle right at the thing, sending a hole through our tent and a loud echo cracking through the forest. But nothing. It didn't run off. It didn't drop. Just a face pressed up against the thin tent window. My girlfriend hysterically crying and screaming at this point and my whole body shaking violently. I screamed out again, Get away now! and fired yet again directly at its face. This time, it dropped to the ground. We sat there shaking in silence, hugging each other, basically embracing a tremendous amount of fear. I could feel my heart pounding throughout my shirt and I could feel, feel her also shaking. After we sat there for what felt like 20 minutes, I mustered up the courage to leave the tent and see what the heck that thing I just shot was. I slowly exited the tent with my rifle and flashlight, slowly walking to the side of the tent that thing was on, and what I found truly disturbed me to my core. I was honestly expecting to see either a dead bear or even some sort of Bigfoot creature laying there, but this was even more frightening. My flashlight lit up the beast, but instead of seeing some massive hairy body laying on the forest floor, all there was was a head. A head on a stick to be exact. The face was pressed up against our tent. It was some sort of makeshift head, stitched together pieces of different leather and fur, all attached to some sort of animal skull, possibly a beaver. It had these dark marbles shoved into the eye sockets of the skull. It smelled awful like rotting meat some sort of disease taxidermy it was gruesome as there were parts of many different animals fashioned to it it resembled some sort of messed up creature head it looked like a monster this head was mounted to a long stick shoved into the ground and purposefully positioned to be looking inside our tent after discovering this my adrenaline kicked in again so many questions ran through my head who made this why where are they I frantically yelled at my girlfriend, Babe, get in the truck now! She bolted to the the truck, and I swiftly smashed all of our belongings into the bed of the truck, not even fully collapsing the tent. We drove through the night as fast as we could, still shaking until I got to the main trail. To this day, I still don't know who would be that far out in the middle of the woods at 3 a.m. and what sick individual would make something so disturbing. But my gut tells me, there is something truly sinister going on in the ne- in that neck of the woods, and I hope I never find out.
1: That took a turn. I was not expecting a head on a stick.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Nasty.
1: Yeah, that caught me off guard. I was expecting like, oh, a Wendigo or a Bigfoot. No, it's a head on a stick.
0: <laughs> no, not a, not only is it a head on the stick, it was it's some lunatic that taxidermied all of these different animals into a head and Ugh. then placed it against the tent. Like, nasty, Sick. weird. Sick. giving me chills.
1: Yeah, I hate that. You okay. know, whenever we have these forest stories, like backwoods kind of creepy stories, and there's some person in the woods that they can't see who did something at their campsite, I always imagine, like, some skinny dude... With just, like, a loincloth and bare feet and, like, frizzy, crazy long hair, like, running through the woods and, like, laughing and having a great time. And I feel like we should come up with a name for him.
0: <laughs> yeah, what's the what's the guy from the kid from Wild Thornberries?
1: Is it Donnie?
0: Yeah, yeah, Donnie. That's what it is. Some, ra- some wild Donnie running through the forest.
1: Let's just name him Donnie. Okay. Say Donnie's at it again. <laughs> some
0: Donnie's out there. Okay. Uh, Well, yeah, when I read that story, I was like, oh, I was so creeped out by it. Yeah. Hopefully you guys are creeped out and ready for Tessa's story.
1: It's interesting you should talk about a severed head. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Because that is a perfect segue into this next story. And everyone listening, you'll have to forgive me. I'm recovering from a cold, so my nose is a little bit stuffy. So, Sorry if that bothers you, but I really can't do anything about it. And it's high time we, we uh, got together to record, so here we are. All right, so I'm going to be telling you the story behind the Goatman's Bridge.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Great story. I already know what it's going to be.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know you know about this place. This week, everyone, I'm taking you on a journey to the south. Why? Because I recently returned from a trip to the beautifully haunting state of Texas, where I was met with an unexpected piece of spooky history. Let's set the scene. So, my fiance and I are sitting at dinner at this beautiful rooftop bar that overlooks the city square of Denton, Texas. We're having a great time hanging out with his family and some friends when the subject of our podcast gets brought up by his mom. This, of course, sparks a discussion about how Denton has a rich history. And nearby Dallas has a bunch of cool and spooky sights to see. That's when one of the guys at the table chimes in and says, if you like that stuff, you've got to visit Goatman's Bridge while you're here. It's just down the road a ways. And of course, I nearly dropped my glass and I was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) I had no idea it was so close to where we were staying. So of course, I all but demanded they take us to the infamous bridge, which I've rewatched on Ghost Adventures so many times. (laughs)
0: That's probably their most wild episode, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. It made one of the crew members quit.
1: Oh, that's right.
0: Yeah, she was, she, I can't remember if she got pushed or what happened, but, yeah, she was like, I'm done.
1: I can't do this anymore. Something about Scratch, I think, too. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I've known about the Goatman's Bridge for years, even before Ghost Adventures went there. I already knew about it somehow, probably from other ghost hunting expedition shows, or something of the like. But lucky for us, that day was stormy, and it totally enhanced the overall spookiness of the area. We all hopped in the rental car, and on our way to the bridge, my fiancé's cousin was telling us stories about how he was taught about Goatman's Bridge in elementary school. That it was actually a really prominent piece of their history in Denton, which reminded me of how the kids in Hocus Pocus are taught about the Sanderson sisters on Halloween at their schools. Or like how our eighth grade teacher for history would teach us the haunted history of the Ben Lomond Hotel in Ogden, Utah. Which, if you haven't listened to that episode yet, go listen because it's pretty great.
0: <laughs> They're all great. Dang all Just great. listen to all of our episodes.
1: <laughs> Do it. <laughs> Anyways, so we pull up to the parking lot. And the area is just lush with green trees. It's super vibrant with life there. And as we're walking down the dirt path, all the trees seem to converge almost. It almost felt like I was experiencing vertigo or like I was zooming in while the landscape was zooming out. I'm just not used to being in such a dense forest where the light doesn't shine through. Then the bridge emerged from the woods. It's tall and red towers over the big river and honestly it was such a welcome sight for me I would equate it to some people meeting a celebrity some people meet their favorite actors at comic con I just meet bridges in the forest it's the same difference (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome as I'm standing on the bridge my fiance's uncle comes up and we start chatting about its history and how intensely heavy the atmosphere feels that day he tells me that he believes in ghosts wholeheartedly especially because of Goatman's Bridge and things he's experienced there. He said he goes there often, and he swears to this day that he's seen apparitions there, particularly of a man hanging. Now, if you don't know the bridge I'm talking about, let's dive into the history, what makes it so terrifying, and why it's become a mecca for horror fans. Our story begins in 1884, when the old Alton Bridge was built over Hickory Creek to connect Copper Canyon to Denton, Texas. The Iron Truss Bridge was built to carry horses across the creek. By the late 1930s, a black man named Oscar Washburn had made quite a name for himself in the area, being a prominent goat herder and a reliable businessman. People in the county went to him for all their goat needs. Raising goats was his business, and the townspeople loved him so much that they lovingly dubbed him the Goatman. Oscar, having taken on this persona, fashioned himself a nice sign and hung it on the old Alton Bridge saying, This way to the Goatman. Now, being Texas the Texas it was during the 1930s, the news of a successful black man was not well received by the local KKK. On a dark night, they hopped in their vehicles and rode across the bridge with their headlights off to stay as inconspicuous as possible. Upon arrival at the family home of the Goatman, the clansmen, outraged by his success, abducted the Screaming Man and took him to the bridge where a noose was hung. They threw the begging Oscar over the edge to the creek below, violently ending the life of the loved and trusted Goatman. Now, this is where the story diverges. The most well-known end to the story is that when the Kluxers looked over the edge to see the dying man, all that was before them was an empty, swinging noose. This angered the mob, who ran to the bottom of the bridge and searched the shoreline for Oscar but to no avail. In a desperate attempt to get their hands on the innocent man, they raced to his family's shack and locked his family inside while they set their home on fire, burning his wife and children to death. Hoping this bait would make the man appear from the tree line, they were dumbfounded when Oscar was nowhere to be found. Another version of the story says that when Oscar was flung over the edge of the bridge, he died in that noose, and as a final horrendous act by the KKK, they slaughtered one of his beloved goats. They then beheaded Oscar's corpse and placed sorry, and replaced his head with that of his goat's head. Whatever story you believe, the vengeful Goatman's spirit guards the bridge and the surrounding woods. It's rumored that if you go to the bridge at night and drive across it with your headlights off like the clansmen did, the Goatman will reappear. Now, it's impossible to drive on that bridge these days because they've developed the road, but I wonder what kind of horrors people back in the day experienced while doing this ritual. Another legend says that if you knock on the metal part of the bridge and call out to the Goatman, he will appear. It's said that orbs of light can be seen floating through the woods at night, and the spirits of the washburns roam the woods searching for their lost children. Glowing eyes have been spotted peering at visitors from the tree line, and people have reported hearing the sound of hoofs on the wooden bridge and splashing in the water below as if something large was thrown into the water. Others have reported rocks being thrown at them, their cars breaking down, and feeling touched by someone who isn't there. Locals believe Satanists rule the surrounding area and perform rituals to open a portal to hell, which the the goat man uses to cross between realms. When we went to the bridge, we saw no such goat man, but I did see a lot of graffiti, particularly pentagrams. They were all over the place, on the bridge, under the bridge, on the shore, in the trees. Pentagrams were even drawn all over a stuffed animal that somebody left behind intentionally set under a tree. On one end of the bridge is a dark grove of trees with a lot of weird stuff going on. Lots of the trees were spray-painted with symbols and patterns. Blair Witch-style stick formations were laid around, and branches had obviously been collected to make a makeshift shack right next to what appeared to be a long rectangle dug into the ground. Perhaps Satan has come out at night and raise hell in the forest by the bridge. Maybe it's just kids looking to impress their crush and scare their friends. Or maybe the Goatman's Bridge serves as a warning of a haunting past filled with vile acts by humans on humans. While we didn't see the Goatman or any glowing eyes or hear the stomp of his hooves on the wooden boards, I saw a beautiful scenery with a dark story to tell. And come to think of it, that's ultimately why we do this podcast. The myths and the legends are super fun, but at the end of the day, history teaches us about the future, and it's up to us to either learn from it or repeat it, and that's why I have fallen in love with Goatman's Bridge.
0: I'm so jealous that you got to go visit the bridge. Yeah. (laughs) It's like I mentioned earlier, that was a wild episode of Ghost Adventures, and so, of course, I was like, man, now I want to go check it out. Yeah. I got to go there. (laughs) And when you told me that you were you were headed there, I was like, "Oh my gosh, you've got to be kidding me! That's so cool."
1: Yeah, I texted you like the second I found out that it was nearby. I was still like at the rooftop bar, and I was like, "Jesse, guess what we're doing?" <laughs> and you were like, "Who's we? Where are you?" And I was like, "I'm in Texas." I forgot. I totally <laughs>
0: forgot that you were actually in Texas uh, visiting family. So I was I was like, "What? What do you mean?" <laughs> and that well, I was also like, "Is there a Goatman's bridge in Utah?" No.
1: I wish. Well, I mean, obviously not for the history, but I wish there was something like that.
0: Yeah. There uh, reminds me of, I don't know if I mentioned this one, this story, but I visited a, there was a so-called haunted bridge similar to Goatman's Bridge, but this one was in Idaho. And we were on a road trip with some friends and we were headed back to Utah. And this bridge, it was, you know, it's the whole thing of park your car, turn the car off flash your lights a few times and then you'll see you'll see the little boy that runs across the bridge who died jumping off you know bridge jumping or whatever okay sure enough we did it and 3 out of the 4 of us we saw a little what looked like a little boy go from right to left and it looked like they it like jumped off the bridge whatever this was but it looked like you saw, I remember seeing arms moving there I don't I don't remember seeing a head but it just like whoop just leaped off it was really strange
1: that's crazy I don't remember you telling me about that yeah, I don't
0: know if I cause I I don't know why but like for some reason this memory it just like I forget about this when it comes to some paranormal experiences I have which are very few but uh but yeah the so we were with two girls we don't I haven't talked to them in years, and then it was my buddy Logan, and Logan, unfortunately, he didn't see it. I think he blinked. <laughs> so he like that's how fast it happened.
1: He would blink. <laughs> yeah,
0: and and uh, I ask him like nowadays, and he he's like, I mean, yeah, I didn't see it, so I don't know.
1: Oh, crazy.
0: Yeah, but great story.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I uh, I definitely had to write that one out because there's a lot of details to it and. Different versions, there's another version where it might not even be the original Goatman. There was perhaps a runaway slave who was captured mm-hmm. and beheaded. Um, but either way, something happened there with the KKK and it's definitely prominent. And interesting. interestingly enough, um, my fiance's cousin was telling me about how they learned about the Goatman in elementary school and I was looking up the history and I was like, Oh, I forgot that the Klansmen like did this. Cause it had been a while since I'd revisited the story and he was like, wait, what? And I was like, yeah, the KKK did it. And he was like, Oh, our teachers conveniently left that out.
0: <laughs> Whoops.
1: <laughs> Oops.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, it's like, well, why else would they have killed him? Because they're racist.
1: Uh, huh. <laughs> And it's Texas. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Other than that, it was beautiful. I loved Denton. It was very pretty.
0: Cool. Well, do you have anything else for us today? That's it. Okay, guys. Well, we'll scare you in the next one.
1: Stay spooky. Bye.